well, it's really great to have you with us this morning. If you're new with us this morning, let me welcome you and just thank you for being here with us and uh, worshiping with us today. Uh, it's a joy to have you with us as part of our family, and uh, we hope that uh, God speaks to you and to all of us, that he teaches us and, and works in our hearts this morning. Uh, if you are new, let me just give you a little bit of context. As a church community, and during 2013, we've been walking through the big story of God. Uh, we started at the beginning, uh, and well, we're going to finish... Well, at the end, or, or sort of the end, actually, uh, at the end of the Bible, anyway. Uh, many of us also have made a commitment to uh, daily Bible reading in 2013, and I hope that that's going well for you. We're, uh, can you believe it, two months into that, and um, I know it's been really good for me to work this important habit into my daily life, and I hope that you're finding that to be the same for you. Um, over the last few weeks, we have read about and regularly heard about an amazing character in the story of the rescue of God's people. The man who delivered the news to Pharaoh of the coming plagues. The man who raised his staff and the Red Sea parted. The man who God entrusted with the tablets that we know now as the Ten Commandments. The man that we know now as Charlton Heston. Okay, I know. I did that a few weeks ago. I just, I'll milk a joke for, you know, multiple times. I just want you to know. But no, I, I want to, there's a reason for this. Uh, last week, or a few weeks ago, when I did mention Charlton Heston, I had a congregation member, Galen Perry, who brought this into my office and set it on the chair in my office. Uh, this painting, actually, Galen was in high school, a uh, TV guide came out uh, with this picture on the front of it, and she, her dad was a painter, and she asked her dad if he's looking for something to do, she would love to have this done for her. Uh, so this has been created, hangs in the Perry's home, uh, she's, it's been on loan to me, it was made very clear that this is a loan, uh, this is not a gift to me. Uh, and here's the funniest part of the story, though, is that right after I spoke last, uh, I took off, for the staff members in here, they know, I took off for several weeks. Uh, I, we had a trip to a conference and then a trip to Trinity to interview fellows, and then I was gone for a week of vacation. Well, Galen brought this into the office, and it got placed on my office chair, which, by the way, I share an office. It got placed on my office chair staring out. And so every time someone walked into my office, Moses was there to greet them. So... Uh, I just had to share it with you this morning, and also just to remind us this morning, as we dive into the Scripture, um, it may be Kevin's voice coming out and speaking, it may be Nathan's that you're hearing, uh, but let's remind ourselves that we are hearing from not Charlton Heston, but Moses. You know, I think we oftentimes think, wouldn't it be cool to get a chance to sit and talk to Moses? Well, this morning, through the amazing reality of Scripture, we get to hear from him. We get to listen to him, to learn from him. Um, and may this not creep you out, but be a reminder of that uh, this morning as we open God's words. Uh, so if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, let's open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 6, which Nathan so beautifully read. Uh, if you're reading along in our Open Here Bible reading plan, and by the way, if you're not, it's not too late to jump in. It's never too late to jump in to start reading your Bible daily. And uh, let me encourage you to go to our website, check out Open Here, and jump in and join us um, 
so if you've been doing that, you either read this passage in Deuteronomy 6 on Friday or on Saturday, depending on which plan uh, you're doing. Um, as you're turning there, let me just remind you, Deuteronomy is like one long sermon. I know we heard Tom talk about that, and you know, thank goodness I'm not going to preach as long as Deuteronomy. Uh, but Moses is doing his best in this sermon, realizing that he is departing to prepare God's people for the promised land that they're to enter. If you remember the story, the parents of the people that Moses is talking to, they didn't do so well. They made mistake after mistake after mistake. And as a result, God's people wandered in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years. And those that he's now talking to, sometimes we miss the context of who he's speaking to. Those he's speaking to now with this sermon are the children of those that led to this wandering. And, And they were children as they wandered. So they know firsthand the disaster that can occur when an entire generation rejects God. Now Moses too, who's speaking these words, had seen this disaster firsthand. And as a result of his own disobedience, we know in the story, he is told by God that he will not enter this promised land. Just put yourself in Moses' shoes. You're told that you're not going to get to see it. I think there might have been a little pity party if that had been me at some point. I might not have been as enthused to speak to God's people about the promised land to come. But yet what we find here is that Moses is faithful to tell the people to set this next generation up for success by reminding them of God's laws and the importance of obeying them. And so as we continue the story of God's people this morning in Deuteronomy 6, I think a key question that we open it up just has to be, as we turn the page to chapter 6, okay, are these people going to do it? It's almost like you can feel the tension as Moses is speaking to them here. It's almost like Moses is saying, okay, look, I know your parents. I knew your parents. And unfortunately, you're a lot like them. So let me be clear with you. This is going to be hard, but let me just make it very plain to you what's going to need to happen. Moses wants them to succeed. Take a peek at verse 3 there in Deuteronomy 6, if you have your Bible open. It's a phrase that says that it may go well with you. Again, think about Moses. He's been told that he's not going to get to see this. And yet what he's saying to them is that you may experience the good that was intended back in the garden. This is the language that he's pointing to. This may go, may, may go well with you. There's a direct connection to God looking at what was in the garden, his original creation, saying this is good. And Moses is saying, even though I'm not going to be there, I, I want the best for you. I, I pray that you'll experience this in ways that was originally intended. And he gives them, I think, the pathway, and, and us, by the way, the pathway to the life that God intended. He tells them to love God completely and to talk about God constantly. So let's read beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now Moses wants them to know that obedience is an overflow of the heart. And therefore, he begins with this very simple instruction to love God completely. Now, unfortunately for us, we're so familiar with this word love, it almost becomes meaningless. 
You know what I'm talking about? It, I mean, we love a movie. We love ice cream. We see a photo on Facebook that we really like, and we don't want to just push the like button. We type love in. I love God. I love my wife. I love my children. And yes, I love waffles. That was supposed to be much funnier. <laughs> but I think you'll get it later, maybe. Now, obviously, all of those loves are not equal, right? I mean, we know that. Or we certainly hope that about me. And yet we use the same word. So it begs the question, what does it mean for us to love God completely? Now, this word that Moses used uses for love here, carries the idea of a deep affection, the loyal commitment, if you will, of a family love or a deep friendship. It's often used to describe God's love for us. We are told that we ought to love God with this deep affection, a loyal affection with all of our might, all of our strength, all of who we are, everything within us. And yet, I hope that we can be honest with ourselves and just admit that we stink at this. I mean, think about it this way. Our actions reveal our affections. In other words, what we do, how we act, where we spend our time, reveals what we love most. Tracking with me here? It doesn't take much self-reflection for me to realize and recognize that I'm not very good at completely loving God with my whole heart, soul, and might. I I frequently suffer from what St. Augustine refers to as the sin of disordered loves. And when our loves are disordered, we have no hope for a faithful obedience to God's laws. And as a result, no hope for experiencing life as it was meant to be. Life will not go well. Now, this may have been why, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And and sort of backed into a corner and tricked about this. He he goes immediately to Deuteronomy 6.5. The life God intended is only possible if we love God completely. But Moses doesn't stop there. He wants them and us to think, he doesn't want us and them to think that if I just love God myself, then everything's going to be okay. There's more to it than that. This is the danger of an individualistic sort of just me and God sort of life. The ways of God are not to be kept secret. Moses knew this. And he knew that it was important for this to be passed on, for it to be sustained. And so he instructs them and us that we must talk about God constantly. Look with me at the beginning of verse 6. He says, in these words that I command you, and by the way, wasn't it awesome to hear Nathan read these words? In these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as, a, as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them at, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, here's the basic truth that's easy for us to get our arms around. 
that if we love something or someone, we will talk about it. Right? I mean, we understand that, don't we? A great restaurant, a, a really great movie, a remarkable ending to a sports event, a basketball game. We talk about the things that we love. And so the natural outworking of when we love God is that we will talk about Him. Here are three simple phrases, I think, that might help us in what Moses is instructing us to do here. First, he says that we must live faithfully. And this is really important. Before we start talking about and passing on the commands of God, we must be living them ourselves. This is what Moses means when he says that we are to have these commandments written on our hearts. It means that we not only know them in our head, but we are living them out. Before we start, must, before we start talking, we must live faithfully the life that God has called us to live. Now, I know if you're like me, that sort of freaks me out. And let's just be really clear here. I said live faithfully, not live perfectly. We live in a broken world, don't we? We feel it, we know it, and as a result, we are all broken people. Broken people that, that, as to use the words of the Apostle Paul, fall short regularly of God's design. We're not just to throw up our hands and give up. We are to know God's commands and to be faithfully living them out, faithfully living them out the best we can with a generous helping of God's grace. And as we live this out, we are also told that we should tell the kids. One of the hardest things to do as a parent, I think, is to know when to talk to your kids about what. Okay, we're, Sharon and I are empty nesters, and your kids have gone through. It's like, okay, what's the timing? When do you have these conversations with your children? Well, here's a general rule for you to follow. When it comes to talking about God, don't hold back. And that's what Moses is saying here. There are two pairs of opposites. I don't know if you see it here in the verse or in the passage, used to describe when to instruct children on the things of God. When we sit down and when we walk. When we lie down, when we rise. In other words, all the time. This doesn't mean that you, you don't talk about the chiefs. It just means that you need to let your kids know how much, much the chiefs need God. No, seriously, you you need to help your kids make connections to their everyday realities. Their everyday realities connected to the commands of God. Helping a toddler understand the importance of not taking a toy away from their older brother or sister is not just so that the screaming can stop. Even though that's a very important thing, by the way. You have an opportunity to begin to lay the foundation of how we obey the command of not coveting. And, by the way, in that moment, you have an opportunity to help the older brother or sister obey the command of not murdering. (laughs) I was talking with Nathan, our campus pastor, Olathe, this week about the message, and I love the way he phrased um, this idea. He said that we should make God talk normal. It shouldn't just be a Sunday morning exercise. We should help our kids 
understand the commands of God through the everyday activities and conversations that we have with them. But if I think of parents who are here today, if you're honest and we're honest with one another, this is really hard. And we shouldn't be surprised that it's difficult if we really stop and think about it. As we know, but I think we need to be regularly reminded, we live in this broken world. And the Bible tells us that as sin entered the world, man began to hide from God. And we still do it. We often find ourselves trying to avoid putting ourselves in places where we might hear from God. And so don't be surprised when your kids do the same thing. I am one who is filled with the family devotional battle scars. And so let me just take three and give three practical suggestions for you for the parents here this morning. First, are you familiar with our Open Here Family Guide? I know one of the things that Sharon and I wrestled with with our boys is, what do we do? How do we do this? And this year, we, are, we have created every week a family guide. You can find it on our website. It's a PDF uh, out in the lobby. There's, a, I think, downstairs as well. There's a QR code that you can link directly to that. It starts with a little explanation on the left. It gives you uh, an exercise in the start here. It gives you some questions to ask, to ask and to have conversation. 52 of these every week. This week happens to be on this passage in particular, on loving God and the great Shema. An easy place to start. How about giving that a try this week? Second, let me encourage you to schedule your lives so that you can share more meals together as a family. It sounds simple, and yet we all feel it and statistics show And I won't ask for a show of hands that family meals are less frequent and becoming almost extinct. I am so thankful for the great work that my bride Sharon did with our boys and with me in fighting for family meals together. She led the charge in fighting the gravitational pull towards overscheduled lives and meals on the run. And this is difficult, but it's simple for us to grab hold of that if we want to have the types of conversations with our kids, we've got to spend time with them. And that probably means, for many of us here today, that means that we begin to need to rearrange our schedules. Quality time is important, but it is no substitute for quantity. Which leads to our third suggestion. As you spend time with your children... Be prepared to seize the teachable moments. Help your kids make sense of the life that God intended us to experience. It's probably not going to come in the moment that you plan, but you need to be ready for the moments when, you're, when you didn't plan it and the question comes up and you have the opportunity there with your child. Now, if you're a student here with us this morning or an adult without children at home for whatever reason, or single or married without children, you may be wondering, okay, does this message connect to me at all? Well, even if you didn't ask it, I'm glad that I thought you might ask it. (laughs) Deuteronomy 6 points us to this final truth for today, and that is that we are better together. When we read these verses in Deuteronomy 6, in our cultural context, We tend to only think of the teaching 
from a parent to a child. And it is certainly no less than that, but it is also so much more. The people of Israel, as they're reading this, would have understood that everyone in the community was responsible. You see, God has created two divine institutions, the divine institution of the family and the divine institution of the church. And you can almost think of the church as a second family. And it's in this family, the local church, where we are all called to teach the children about the commands of God, and we are better together. Students, for you here this morning, it's important for you to know that there are significant roles for you to play. To begin, you have much to teach us as adults. The questions you ask, the thoughts that you have about God are important for you to talk to about with us. We learn from you. Also, your church family needs you to take time to invest in those that are younger than you. You can serve on Sunday mornings with our VBS, with maybe speaking to the child you're babysitting, or with the children of your parents' friends. We need you to help us pass on the truth of God's commands as they become alive in you. Adults without children at home, for whatever reason, there is a very important place for you. Remember, the church is your family. What sometimes has been described as a family of families. Over the last several years, we've been partnering with and learning from the Fuller Youth Institute as they sought to understand what makes faith sticky or what causes students to continue on in their faith after going to college. And one of the main ingredients for a sticky faith is that a student have at least five adults outside of their parents and their youth pastor who they know and who know them, who really know them and are interested in their lives. So adults without children at home, let me just ask you, how many students do you know in our family? Have you had conversation with the children of your friends? Do you know their names? Do you know their interests or the school they attend? Maybe a very simple step for you this morning is to begin taking steps to know more about them. This is an important emphasis for us here at Christ Community as we move forward in the years ahead. We believe this is significant for us to begin to experience the life God intended as a local family as we move forward. Last year, as we outlined our strategic areas uh, that we believe God is calling us to, we wrote this down under the heading of developing next generational leaders. We wrote that we desire to grow in building a web of relationships between children, students, and adults. Now, do we know all the steps that we need to take in this area? No. But we do believe passionately that this instruction of Moses found in Deuteronomy 6 should not just be embraced individually, but also institutionally, corporately, as an organization, as a church, as a family of families, by the priorities and the programs that we create. Now, I know that many of you serve faithfully in children's ministries, student ministries. Uh, by the way, if you, were, if you do, would you just raise your hand so that we can thank you Look at these hands right here that are taking time. Let's thank them for their investment. But I want to be clear. This is not about 
a volunteer recruitment assignment. The goal is not serving in one of the church ministries or in being a good parent. Moses is giving us the ingredients to experience the life that God intended, and he says we are to love God completely and to, to talk about him constantly. How this looks will vary widely within our congregation. It will take on many different forms. So I thought this morning that it might be helpful for us to take some time in the message to hear from some people in the congregation who are taking specific steps to invest in the next generation. Would you guys come on up, Alan and Ashley and Steve? As they come, um, let me just highlight, thank you, Steve. I know that they would want me to do this. Um, Let me just remind you, go ahead, that we are, these are people that are living faithfully and not living perfectly. Um, And I know that they would, so that you guys, I'll take the disclaimer out for all of you. Um, And they are learning, as we all are, of how to best do this. So why don't we just take a moment and introduce yourself. Alan, let's start down there with you. Introduce yourself, tell a little bit about yourself, uh, and specifically maybe how you found Christ Community or when you found Christ Community. Sure. My name is Alan Mercer. I found Christ Community 12 years ago when they hired me. So, you know, (laughs) it's kind of how it goes. Um, But I have a lovely wife, Becky, of 22 years and four teenage children. Ashley. And I'm Ashley Miller, and I first started attending in 2002 as a high school senior and have pretty much been here ever since. Awesome. Uh, Steve Brown, my wife and I, Rhonda, have been involved uh, with Christ Community for over 20 years and have five boys ranging from 22 to 11. Perfect. Alan, I know that um, uh, you, in your role, you've spent a, really your, I think your entire lifetime of work uh, really investing in the next generation of leaders professionally uh, in student ministry, and your role here uh, is one that is leading us in thinking more about what it means to build this web of relationships between children, students, and families. And we sometimes around here, you may have heard this uh, term, we sometimes talk about this as intergenerational ministry. Uh, So maybe could you uh, help us understand what this looks like? And, you know, as you've learned and kind of from your expertise, how might we grow in this area? Yeah, great question. So intergenerational, it really is uh, what we've tried to make it clear in, in what Kevin has already said is that it is a web of relationships between children, students, and adults. It is not about just adults connecting with students. It's not just about students connecting with adults. It's not about children. It's, it's about everyone being together and pulling our congregation together when it makes sense. Because there are a lot of times when it makes a lot of sense to have age-specific things going on because everyone is at a different developmental level. But it also makes a lot of sense to pull the congregation together so that we know each other, so that we learn each other, so that we we experience life together. And and we don't often do that very well. Our, Our mission at Christ Community is to be a caring family of multiplying disciples. And as a family, we should do life together. And in order to multiply disciples, our children and our students need you as adults. And honestly, as adults, you need our students and our children as well. That's great. Ashley, I know you're uh, living out this intergenerational ministry in more ways than just the church. So maybe tell us a little bit about um, the work that you're doing, investing in, and kind of bringing Deuteronomy 6 to life. 
Well, I work as an elementary PE teacher for the Blue Valley District, so um, I see a lot of kids from kindergarten through fifth grade um, on a daily basis. And then I'm also the JV softball coach at Blue Valley High School, so um, between those two things and then working with middle schoolers here, I kind of cover the whole gamut of age ranges, and um, it gives me an opportunity to invest in a lot of their lives and work with them. How long have you been working with the students here in the middle school? In middle school or? Yeah, middle school. Uh, I think almost six years now. Wow. So I've gone through two cycles of girls. When you say a cycle, what does that mean? Start with them in sixth grade and then move up with them every year in middle school. And then when they move on to high school, I go back down to sixth grade and start with a new group of awesome girls. Wow, so you're really spending three years with them. And that's a model that we do, right? I mean, if, so to give that consistency and have people speaking in. Um, well, great. Thanks for investing in that way. Um, maybe talk a little bit about some of the ways you interact with teenagers uh, on a regular basis and, and make this investment. Well, I try to um, get to know them outside of, you know, the normal setting. And so with my elementary kids, I try and do um, a couple of after-school programs where I can um, get to know them better instead of just, you know, in PE class every day. Um, <clears throat> with my... Middle school girls, I try and get involved in their extracurricular activities. So I'll go watch a sporting event or see them in their school play. And then with my high school players, um, you know, high school's really tough, and I'm amazed at how much they have on their plates. And so we'll do some team dinners and things like that where I can ask them how their classes are going, um, give them some advice about colleges, and um, just trying to be intentional about... um, you know, asking them how their lives are, are going and what they're struggling with and try and be supportive and encouraging to them through that. That's great. Steve, I know you and Rhonda have five boys. I think your license plate is even five boys, right? Or, or maybe the Rhonda's email, plate. Rhonda's license plate, right. yes. And you email. you don't want to admit that. And her email. Right, and, right. and her email. Um, I know that you both have been intentional with your boys in kind of helping them understand these commands of God. And, and specifically, I know there's some uh, very intentional things that you've done with them along the way. Maybe help us and fill us in a little bit on that. Okay, I'm going to say this is imperfect, but uh, uh, when I uh, became a parent, uh, a couple of good friends of mine, uh, we read a book together uh, authored by Robert Lewis, Raising a Modern Day Night. And from that book, um, I went to work and created 12 character traits that I wanted to see the boys go through first grade through 12th grade. Uh, with the overview in kindergarten of being a servant leader. Um, Commissioned a a good friend here at church, Terry Lombard, to create a family crest based upon the thought processes that I had. And then Charles Usher was able to connect me with an individual where I could create a medallion. So began that process of, on an annual basis, we would do a camp out early on. And and again, through the business of, of life and whatnot, just that kind of fell by the wayside. But every year... I'll get together with the boys that are still at home, and we'll go uh, to get a bite to eat, and I'll share the character trait for that next year. And and what we do on an evening basis when we are together at, at the dinner table, I will just uh, pick one of the boys, the trait either that they're on that year or a trait that they've done. I'll ask them a few questions about that. We'll go through the verse that had been chosen, and um, so it just creates uh, whoever's there at the table is hearing it as well. And it's all memorized now, uh, for the most part, from the boys, but it's uh, the intentionality of trying to do that. And then when the boys turn 13, similar to a bar mitzvah and, um, 
Alan's participated in this with the four ceremonies I've had to date. Uh, we will have um, gone through six character traits at that point, and I will choose six friends that are either engaged and involved in my life or the boy's life and have them come, and they'll get to pick their favorite meal. Mom will prepare that and then leave the house, and we uh, have an opportunity to eat together. Uh, I have the men speak about that trait to the boy, and then I present um, a medallion to them that, again, that Charles Usher helped me create. And so the boys will have that uh, really to wear around, around them the rest of their lives, hopefully reconnecting them to those traits. Uh, there's 12 stars within the crest signifying those character traits, hmm. ranging from integrity to, as a senior, perseverance. Wow, that's great. I know you're also involved with uh, Reed Kappel, our uh, senior high pastor, uh, our high school pastor, um, in a prayer ministry for guys or students. I think it's called 4 Plus 1. Maybe fill us in a little bit on in, in what are you guys thinking about? What's, the, what's that looking like? There's a lot of people wondering why, where is that? And it's, we're getting close. Uh, Reed and I have been meeting every other week here the last uh, six weeks or so. But um, you should be the men and women that had signed up that had an interest. What we're doing is connecting um, every student with an adult to pray for them and a commitment from the adult to pray through their high school plus one year of college. And it could, could go beyond that. But uh, we, we had a small subset of uh, men that did this a couple years ago, year and a half ago, started. And uh, I've personally have had three boys that are now uh, freshmen in college. And uh, it's just faithfully trying to pray for them once a week and then to send them a note every once in a while. And then when you see them within... Uh, the confines here at church to be able to engage with them in some conversation. So um, we're hopeful as as we launch this. We already have men and women that have committed. We've got about every student covered uh, that this will will, will take us to um, more intentionality in terms of being able to connect the students with the adults. That's great. Yep. Um, for both of you, Ashley, maybe start. Uh, as I mentioned this morning, we often learn um, from the people that we're attempting to teach, from these students. And so maybe some specific ways that you've experienced God speaking to you in the midst of your interaction or working with them. I think one of the things I, I learn all the time from um, the kids is how to just be intentional. I think it's really easy for us to, um, you know, to, to go up to somebody and just say, hey, how's it going? And um, it, mm. sometimes it's really superficial, but... You know, working with elementary kids, they, they'll come up and hug me all the time. And, you know, you do something like cut your hair and then 20 kids, you know, comment on how great your hair looks. And they're just really encouraging. And that never happens to me. <laughs> I assume you know that. <laughs> um, but it's just great how, um, you know, unafraid they are to, to ask questions and to, you know, hey, Coach Miller, did you win your games last night? You know, just little questions to, to show that they care and that they want to know more about you, and so that has, you know, encouraged me to do the same um, with them, but also to ask deeper questions to, um, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers, and you know, not just coach them or teach them, but also try and find out what's what they're struggling with, you know, how I can help them, and um, and then just trying to spend time with them outside of just this normal school setting or on the field and doing that. That's great, Steve. I know. With your boys, fifth grade through college, there must have been many lessons for you and Rhonda along the way. Is there something that comes to mind for you? Well, I think it's just, again, Ashley saying it, and you mentioned it in the sermon, just it's, it's spending time, and it's those mm-hmm. moments 
I think it is around the dinner table we find more opportunities where things are brought up and are shared and uh, you know, through my wife's wisdom, uh, much more than mine, to be able to, to try to tackle some of those questions and, mm. and issues. Mm. That's good. Um, so maybe for all three of you, here's a question for all three of you. Uh, I think getting started with this, for the adults that are in here that maybe don't have kids, or even with those with children, is there's a little bit of uh, maybe fear of how do you get started? Uh, maybe like a junior high dance where you just don't quite, you know, it's like taking that first step to go ask. Your, so maybe some wisdom that you might have as people that are engaged or have been engaged along the way. Again, not one that have all the answers, but give us some thoughts on first steps that might be helpful for us. Yeah, Steve, start. Um, well, I think the biggest uh, thing that's affected me in my life is having someone to be accountable with and to. Hmm. And uh, those two men that I started with, uh, one, um, well, the, one lives now in Little Rock, but the other's here locally. And so I participated in their boys' ceremonies. They participated in my boys' ceremonies. And um, with five children, you can start strong and you just start losing a little bit of steam on some things. And they've kept me to where I'm um, wanting to finish strong with all the boys. Hmm, that's great. Ashley? Um, one way for adults specifically, uh, it's really easy and, and practical to, if you want to get involved in more lives of the youth, is to kind of invite them into your own life. Um, even something as easy as having kids run some errands with you, or you have to go shopping and you take some with you. Um, a few years ago when I bought my first house, I had a couple middle school girls come over and help me paint my living room, and we had pizza and hung out, and um, so they kind of are involved in my life as well, and it's not just me trying to support them, but they also you know, come into my life, and it's a good way to, at least a good starting point sometimes. It's hmm, great. It's a great thought. Alan? Yeah, I'd even go one step back uh, and say for many of us sitting in here, uh, the idea of doing something significant is, you know, that's like 10 steps down the road, and we're going, how do I even just start? Um, and l- number one, I'll, I'll put a blog post up this afternoon because there are a couple of great articles out that uh, give a lot of great ideas in this realm. But one, just here in the sanctuary, we've, we've kind of joked about it before, but you all sit in the exact same place every week, okay? <laughs> well, you know, you know you do, and I know you do. Uh, and there are students and children that sit by you every single week. So get, you know, start there. Uh, ask them their name. Ask them what school they go to. Ask them what they like. Uh, you know, get to know the people that you sit near every single week instead of just kind of turning and immediately talking to the parents. You know, talk to the students. And, and students, you have the same responsibility. And it is really hard for all of us. It doesn't matter if you're 12 or if you're 50. It's hard to talk to someone in a different generation. Uh, but students, turn around and talk to an adult. Look them in the eye and ask them, you know, how, you know what do you do for a living? Or tell, tell me about what your hobbies are. Uh, you might find that you both like the same things. That's great. Will you join me in thanking them for helping us this morning? I know if, um, if you're like me, there's a, there's a fear that comes with this, and a fear of failure, a fear of, fear of rejection, and uh, let me just encourage you to push. Uh, we are a family. Uh, we are to work through that together. Uh, this is not something where it's designed for you to just come in, slip in, and not know anybody or not engage. 
That's not the way families work. And let me encourage you to take that step, even beginning this morning, to invite yourself or to introduce yourself to someone um, who might be younger or older than you. Uh, This is what families are all about.